This show is brought to you by Brain First Training Institute, ICF accredited coach certifications and applied neuroscience training. To become a brain-based coach, get certified in applied neuroscience and stay up to date with what's happening in the world of applied neuroscience and coaching, join our Brain First community over at brainfirsttraininginstitute.com. Hey, it's Ramon and welcome to Brain Coach Radio, where we hear from expert coaches, leaders and trainers who are using applied neuroscience to help their clients get life-changing results. We discuss various coaching topics, neuroscience insights, business tips and much more, all to help you succeed. Now, let's get into the episode. No interruptions. Enjoy, my friends. Julie, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. Thanks, Ramon. It's great to see you too. So I think the last time we connected, uh, we were talking about a moment ago, was before Christmas and you had just retired. One of the things, and I didn't really get a, much of a chance to speak to you about it um, when we are going through the course, uh, was your job and the types of things that you're working on, which I found super, super fascinating and I wanted to talk a little bit more about. Can you just uh, explain for our listeners and, and for me um, what you've been working on for the last, say, few years and, and, and what your sort of career progressed towards before retirement? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, in my last job, I was serving as the chief learning officer at the National Nuclear Security Administration, which is quite a mouthful. And uh, it's part of the United States government, connected loosely to our Department of Energy. And as the chief learning officer, I was responsible for all the learning and development programs, career development leadership development, executive development, coaching, mentoring, just everything that you can think of related to learning and development for the agency, which is an agency of about 2,000 people. And we were also, it's kind of different a little bit, some of our responsibilities, we had diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in our portfolio and also some grant programs aimed at minority serving institutions as we're really focused at the agency on trying to um, bring more diverse students into STEM, right? So it was a fabulous, it was a fabulous job. I also, before I came to the agency, I, I worked for 10 years at the Department of Defense, the U.S. Department of Defense, also as a chief learning officer for the office of the Secretary of Defense. And there I had a uh, about 6,000 customers that we provided, uh, you know, your regular learning and development opportunities for. Uh, Fabulous jobs, a completely different career from where I started before then, which was actually in communications and branding, which I did for about 15 years also in the federal government. So I retired with almost 31 years of federal service. Wow. So when people first think Department of Defense, nuclear uh, safety. Uh, they don't typically think learning and coaching and these sorts. Of it's it seems to be a big disconnect. So, how how what is the connection here? How what was the department um, responsible for? Um, like, just fill in the fill in the blanks for us so we can get an idea of like, okay, geez, how does this actually how does it actually work? <laughs> right, right. You know, I would think of it, the Department of Defense and the National Nuclear Security Administration both have a responsible for nat- responsibility for national security. 
you could think of it like large corporations, really. Mm. I mean, right, except our mission was to secure the nation and the world in both instances, in both jobs that I held. And you have leaders with really important jobs, really stressful jobs, and they need development and coaching and mentoring, just like um, the folks who work at any major corporation that you would think of. So it might not be quite as much of a disconnect as you might imagine. You know, we have our chief financial officers, we have our uh, chief management officers, and we have our chief learning officers. So it's all part of sort of just like a C-suite in a major corporation. Yeah. Have they, have they existed for some time? Like, is this, is this something new or it's been around for a, a decade or two or? Oh yes. It's been around for a long time. Maybe they didn't call it always chief learning officer, you know, as, as times change, uh, it was just the director of uh, maybe learning and career management or the director of learning and development or, you know, a different title like that, but it was always still the same areas of responsibility to build the future leaders, to enhance the skills of current leaders, uh, and to help with career management for everybody from junior employees all the way up. Mm-hmm. So when you moved from uh, communications and branding over to uh, the learning side, when did the coaching element come into it? Great question. Uh, so you, it's a crazy change in career fields. You might have noticed right from communications <laughs> and branding to learning and development. So um, during the time that I was figuring out that I wasn't uh, really so fulfilled in communications anymore and I wanted to make a change, I decided to go back to school to get a graduate certificate in organizational development. And it was while I was in that program that I had an opportunity to take an executive coaching class as part of the curriculum. And the instructor there, uh, Virginia Bianco Mathis, I have to give her a little shout out because she was absolutely superb. I fell in love with the class. I learned so much. And because helping others reach their full potential is my actual personal mission statement. I was like, wow, this field of coaching, which I didn't know anything about. This was back in 2007. Oh. I'm like, wow, this is this is something that I think I would really enjoy doing. So I started coaching. We had to get clients uh, as part of that class. And I just never stopped. I had clients. Um, it was just it wasn't really part of my actual job um, at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency where I was at the time. But I my boss was very um, flexible and allowed me to give some of my time back to individuals in the agency who really needed to have some or wanted to have some coaching. Right. So, yep. <laughs> what, uh, what, what were the sorts of things that you were coaching them on? Mm-hmm. Most of my coaching clients came out as a result of teaching the Stephen Covey seven habits of highly effective people, right? uh, which is how I sort of got all into the whole thing and figured out what my personal mission statement was and the whole nine yards. I would get coaching clients after every single time that I taught that class. And usually it was around people who were in a career transition. And maybe that meant that they felt like they were stuck and they wanted to stay in their same career field, but they really wanted to move up and they couldn't figure out why they weren't moving up. And a lot of times it was people who, like myself, didn't want to be in their current job anymore, but didn't know what they did want. They just knew that they were not feeling very fulfilled or passionate about what they were doing. And they would ask me to help them figure out how to 
um, find their purpose and then how to get the job that would let them work in that area. So those are most of my clients. Even today, that's still most of the clients I have. And um, progress within the same agency or with the same organization or sometimes to move into a completely unrelated area or what, what was the majority, what were the majority interested in? I would say, so a lot of my early coaching was at the Environmental Protection Agency and most people who go there feel very passionate about the mission of the agency. So they wanted to stay in the agency. They just wanted to change career fields. So helping them navigate that, figure out what that might look like, how they could get there. Um, that's That was a lot of what I did there. At the Department of Defense, there was a a definite shift because as I moved into leadership development, I was responsible for the department-wide leadership, all of the leadership development programs for the whole department. So I had a lot of access to senior leaders at that point. And so a lot of my coaching then came from senior leaders and first-time supervisors who really found that um, transition from uh, individual contributor to supervisor really challenging. And how to have difficult conversations with their employees about certain things. So I found that I, I got more clients in that area once I moved um, to DOD. By the time I got to my last agency, actually the job itself was so incredibly demanding. I didn't actually take on any new clients because it was just, it was a lot to learn <laughs> to manage a department of about 30 people. So, mm. And at DOD, was the coaching part of the role or again, was it you were doing leadership development and then off the back of that, you would get clients that would come to you and ask for coaching? So it was part of the role actually in the, in the federal government, we have um, a network of coaches and a database where we put all of our information and uh, to be part of that program and all agencies kind of signed up to do this you have to give back. So we would coach a certain number of hours over the course of the year. And then in that database, I had a lot of people who would contact me from other agencies, um, you know, cause we just, we shared our resources across the whole federal space when we started up this idea of a federal coaching network, mm. which was kind of, I don't know, pioneering, I guess, for the federal space anyway. Yeah. I, the whole, the whole, the whole thing I just find absolutely fascinating because um, and you know, I'm sure you'll agree, like go out and speak to hundred people on the street and connect department of defense and, and leadership <laughs> coaching. Like it just, it's not a, it's not a natural connection that people would make. Right. I mean, that, that'd be fair to say. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's very fair to say. And honestly, we had to do a lot of work to convince people that coaching should be a part of development because it's so often seen as something that's only available for executives. And we incorporated it. Um, once I went to the Department of Defense and was responsible for those leadership development programs, we actually added coaching into part of the curriculum or the part of the program responsibilities, I guess, right? So as a participant, you didn't have an option. You really needed to have a coach. And we added that to all of our programs, even our emerging leader program, which was, you know, your junior level individuals. And um, the feedback that we received from the individuals who participated with the coaches was really phenomenal. Um, most of them were not aware of what coaching is, how it's different from mentoring. Mm -hmm. And they 
yeah, the feedback we got was really, really amazing. And, um, and then I added it when I went to a different part of the Department of Defense, I added it to our aspiring leader program there as well. And not 100% um, would participate. You know, a military culture is, is a little different, um, right? And so this notion of coaching uh, isn't for everyone. I'll just say it like that. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a lot of people who found it really helpful to them. Uh, in whatever they were trying to do um, in all different kinds of areas, not just of their work life, but their personal life as well. Mm. Did you, how much convincing or selling the idea of coaching to the organization was required? Like were they, um, did they say, yep, we can trial this and they were, they were um, quite uh, responsive to it or was there quite a bit of having to sell them the idea to begin with? Right. I don't think, you know, I don't recall having to work that hard at it, okay. honestly. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was part of what we were already offering in the program. And because we were using the federal network that I was telling you about, it was free. We weren't paying right tens of thousands of dollars for external coaches to come in and provide coaching services to our leadership development participants. This was all free and an added bonus. So it wasn't it wasn't that difficult. Now, um, we just before I retired, I added a coaching service for our executives, and maybe that was a little bit more of a sales job. But um, but I guess I'm a pretty good salesperson because we did get a hundred percent sign up after I gave my sales pitch. So <laughs> you know, I mean, really, when you um, when you think about all the benefits that coaching can provide to a leader and they hear it, uh, especially in a, in a place like the National Nuclear Security Administration, where you have a lot of engineers and technical people, you, you can provide them some data on return on investment and how, how they could use the coaching to help them in their careers or manage their stress mm -hmm. or their nutrition or you know, other issues. Uh, it wasn't that hard of a sell, I think. Okay. So I know, like, for example, in a lot of organizations, you know, Fortune 500,000, Fortune 5,000 companies, it's all about the bottom line. If you can show the organization that it's going to impact the bottom line, then great, they'll sign up. But what about something like, you know, um, a, a nuclear, is it nuclear safety or nuclear security? What's the Nuclear agency? security. Security. Nuclear security uh, administration. <laughs> <laughs> It's well, a mouthful. Yeah, theirs is obviously not going to be, uh, you know, how much money they make. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so what's the what's the, what's the the bottom line for them? <laughs> right. So what we focused on with them was uh, improvement to performance, right, and reduction of stress. And I'm trying to remember what some of the other statistics. The service that we happen to use keeps track of a lot of statistics. Hmm. on that. And so sharing some of those, I think, made a lot of impact um, to the individuals. That's so cool. Uh, absolutely <laughs> fascinated by this. How, um, how, how has your approach to coaching changed over, I mean, you've been doing this now for, for a long time. How has your approach changed over that, over that time? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I feel like every day I'm still learning so much that it, it, it keeps changing from, 
at the beginning, you know, I was, uh, I was quite honestly terrified that I wouldn't figure out what to say, or I would ask a really bad question, um, you know, instead of asking those real powerful questions that our uh, teacher told us that we needed to be focusing on, and that the whole, you know, so I, I was really focused a lot on what, what was I going to say, and how was I going to take them through some kind of a model, right, which I learned in class, the coactive coaching model, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, but it is extremely action-oriented, goal-oriented with, you know, action steps and homework and, you know, all, I mean, really, you feel like you're, you know, in class sort of, I think, with yep. your coaching. And uh, today, it's, I have, I wouldn't say necessarily that I follow a model. I have more of a free-flowing approach to the conversation with the client. And, and now that I've had our class, of course, I'm just... Uh, excited about bringing in what I learned about neuroscience into, into my coaching. And uh, as you know, I used it on myself first mm -hmm. to just try, mm -hmm. try and see how, how that would work. So, and I can see going forward, my coaching to, to really bring in a lot of what we learned in class and to really utilize brain science to help individuals make the changes that they want to make mm. in a way that's going to be hopefully more successful. Mm. Not that some of my clients um, didn't have success, but uh, you know, but I, I maybe didn't use the right approaches that could have helped work with the brain, you know, instead of against it, if that makes any sense. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, 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 you know, this is a, a constantly evolving process, isn't it? We gain more information. We integrate that. We change things. We refine uh, and just continuously improve what um so would you say now you're still more or have been more recently focused on the career transition part or leadership development still makes up the majority of the work that you had done in sort of more recent times in more recent times i would say the career transition again i don't know if it's because that's what um, you know, a lot of my colleagues know me for, and so when I get referrals, you know, it'll be a lot of times in that area. Oh, you should talk to Julie. You know, she could, she could probably help you in this area. And honestly, it's the, it's the area that I have the most, um, passion for anyway. It's, I mean, not that it's not great to help supervisors who are, who are struggling being a first time supervisor and helping people with difficult conversations, but it just doesn't really, um, excite me as much as being able to work with people who are really trying to find their purpose and they just need someone to help them maybe look at it in a different way or have them think about it in a different way so they can find the answers themselves. Right. Yeah. So let's say I'm an individual. I'm, I'm a little bit lost at the moment. I've tried a, a number of different things and I'm really not quite sure about you know, what to do next. I haven't really found my, my calling or my purpose in terms of my career. Where, where would be a good place to start? I love to start with values exploration. That's one of my favorite things, <laughs> you know, and we talked about that in, in class with the motivated brain. And I thought, oh my gosh, I just never knew I would have been doing this for some time. And I didn't realize the connection there, right. With how our, how our brain gets motivated to do things, but uh, yeah, I would start you off um, with some exercises to try and uh, figure out where what your core values are. Uh, 
um, and maybe even some of your uh, guiding principles for your life. And a lot of times when you really take a hard look at those things, um, what pops out are the things that you're not only they're sort of who you are at your deepest level, but they oftentimes reveal something about what you're passionate about too. Mm. And so then I would, I would take you into that, try to help you figure out, write down your, uh, some sort of a mission statement or a purpose or the things that even just excite you or that you're passionate about and see if um, through all different kinds of questioning and looking at it in different ways, you would, um, it would come to light Mm. what your passion was. Mm. What are some of the things that have surprised you with clients when they go through this exercise and then obviously you you um, utilize that information and then go to whatever the next steps are? What, what are some of the things that have surprised you with, with clients when they have breakthroughs or they figure out, you know, they make, they, they make these connections and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I didn't even realize that this was a thing all along. It's been staring me in the face like this sort of, this sort of thing. What have you observed? Well, that is an excellent question. I wish I could think of some specific examples too, but it's because I am always surprised. I don't know why I'm always surprised, but each time they have their aha moment, Mm. it's like, oh my goodness. And then they light up and they get so excited. Um, And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's so fabulous that this, you know, (laughs) that helped them get to this place. And each time it's just as surprising to me as the last time. Um, I don't know if that's a good answer to the question, but that's kind of, it is a surprise to me every time that it sort of works, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And, and also to be kind of part of that journey as well. I think there's, I'm, I'm uh, reflecting on what you mentioned before about, you know, the leadership development versus the career transition. I mean, these are major things in people's lives. And when someone goes from, you know, perhaps working in a job that they don't particularly like, and then having that aha moment moment to figure out, oh, wow, this is actually what all of these things have kind of been leading towards. And I didn't recognize it until now. And it pops out and hard not to get caught up in that excitement mm-hmm. and joy and that, that breakthrough, right? Oh, absolutely. I think it's really the, the reason that I, I love to do it because, you know, you have one life here to live and you want people to be able to live it doing the thing that they were meant to do and the thing that excites them uh, and fulfills them. Um, because then you know that the person's going to have a life well lived, right? And to be a part of that is, um, it's humbling, you know, I think in some ways and um, extremely gratifying. You know, I spent most of my years of coaching all for free. Um, and I just, even now today, when I think about charging, it's, it's weird for me because um, I get so much out of doing it. It's like, well, I don't know, maybe that's sort of my, my payment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, I know you're just starting to apply some of the neuroscience to yourself. Have you started to incorporate that or what are the, what are the future plans for bringing that into the coaching side? That's a great question also. So, um, for now I've been, uh, working on it with, for myself, uh, as you know, with my, <laughs> my goals to, uh, put more movement, uh, into my life instead of 
exercise, which is uh, <laughs> not something that I thoroughly enjoy, but moving mm-hmm. is good. Um, so, so, um, the, the, is it, yeah, <laughs> yes. Right. I'm like, Oh, look, I can actually do this for myself. Not just, not just for my clients too, you know? Um, so I think being more purposeful about the, the values work that I had, that I have been doing and continue to do that, but also helping people, um, make that connection with creating intrinsic value in whatever it is they want to do so that it becomes more motivating for them to be successful in achieving their goals. Um, and the part where we talked about um, our identity, that it's like one of the most powerful motivators is when we can uh, attach it to our own self-identity. So if you can help people find that, these are kind of, these are like little changes that I would use, different types of questions I would ask in future coaching to help them explore some of these areas that would then hopefully um, lead them to easier habit changes um, simply by using brain science. Mm -hmm. So um, since retirement, um, what are you working on generally in the coaching space? You're taking on clients now, Um, what future plans? I'm just, uh, I'm just now starting to take on clients again. um, Now that I've, been retired for all of uh, just over two months. <laughs> so not very, not very long yet, but I did have a lovely long rest. <laughs> so, so I think I'm, I'm ready to, uh, to take on more coaching clients. And honestly, um, I've been working with my own coach, uh, right? So coaches should also have coaches and I do have one and she's been having me really think about what type of clients I want to have and, you know, what's, what space I really want to be in. And honestly, I think sticking with the career transition is the area that I really want to want to focus on and hone and um, really find, I'm not going to say the best approach, but different possible approaches to help individuals find their way to their, to their best career. I think that's where I'm going to be going with my coaching in the future. In a, in a particular area like STEM as an example or um, generally or not sure yet? I think just generally, just generally, because I think it's, um, you know, there are people everywhere in all different types of career fields that need help, um, including uh, people who've left the workforce, um, you know, maybe new mothers who are then trying to figure out how to transition back into the workforce. So I think all of the different types of career transition are interesting to me. Um, and the reason why I like working with clients who want to make a career transition is because they're already self-motivated because they don't really like where they are at the moment, right? And um, one of the things I find, I've always found a challenge in coaching is when someone reaches out to you to be their coach, but then they they don't want to do any work, right? <laughs> They're like, no, I'd rather not think about that. I'd rather you just tell me what to do and right, which is not coaching as we both know. So I think that also helps me find the clients that I'm that I most enjoy working with as well, focusing yeah. on career transition. They're highly motivated. Right. <laughs> they they're probably yep. searching for a solution for a long time. 
Um, they've probably tried a bunch of different things, read some books, tried to figure, figure out, you know, start with why, like these sorts of, <laughs> sorts of things. Uh, and then, you know, so maybe, maybe career transition coaches are kind of like, you know, towards the end of the list. And now they're, they're highly motivated to, to, to change, um, which of course, who doesn't love a client? <laughs> who's like that, right? right? I mean, they're just so much easier than, than, than dragging and kicking and screaming into the, the next phase of goal pursuit. <laughs> right, right. And it's the most, well, for me anyway, it's the most fulfilling. It's where you get so many of those awesome aha moments when they discover what they really care about, you know, what they really stand for, what they want to do, what they want to be. I mean, that's where a lot of that happens is in that those particular types of transitions. So um, it lets me be a part of that journey, which I think is, is really fabulous and ties me right back to my personal mission of wanting to inspire and motivate people to reach their full potential, which Mm. is actually my my mission statement. I love it. What um, can you share like a case study or an example that comes to mind of someone that you've helped who came to you and they're, they're struggling with this career transition right through to, you know, getting the aha moment and then off to perhaps making, you know, a new a career change or, or getting the job that they wanted. Hmm. Let me think. This moment, I feel like they're all just um, running together, but let's use um, one of my more recent clients. Um, who was, he was in a, he was in a job that was going to, it was a term position. So it was going to end anyway. And he felt like he'd, he enjoyed the work for the first couple of years, but the type of work that he was doing was, um, it's just become sort of routine and very rote and he wasn't enjoying himself. And since it was a term position, he was going to have to find um, some, something else to do. He was, of course, highly motivated because he didn't want to be without a job. So, um, so yeah, so we, um, so we worked through, um, I'm trying to remember if I did values with him or not. My memory is not what it used to be, Ramon. So sorry about that. Um, you will learn to rest by the sound. Exactly. I let many, many things go. Um, turn off for a little while I'm sure. <laughs> with that from time to time <laughs> right uh so yeah so we we explored a lot of a lot of different things he was a very um kind of task oriented individual so that was really helpful actually in our you know he liked to generate lists and uh, things that he could research he loved researching which was great And so actually it sort of took me more back to my co-active coaching model in a way where, you know, we talked about, well, what's the next, uh, what's the next smallest steps that you could take to help you gather the next bit of information that you need that will give you a new insight. And then what we talk about that in the next session, and then we would generate new ideas about the next sort of research he needed to do, or maybe somebody he needed to talk to or um, finding a mentor or, you know, something. And then he would, you know, and I would serve as his accountability partner then for all of his actions. And, and actually he got a fabulous job that he wanted. Um, 
uh, at another government agency. I won't say in the event that he, he decides to listen to this podcast someday, he'll <laughs> know who it is. Um, and, uh, and, and, and got a really great job, uh, in the field that he wanted. So, so that was a good example of sort of using one of maybe my older approaches, um, yeah. still today. Cause it's, you know, you really have to meet the client where they are and utilize the way that they process information, right? You don't want to um, be working against them and the way they naturally go about decision-making. Um, so it's, it's helpful to, to have different approaches and different models when coaching, I think, to help meet your clients where they are. Sure. So that was an awesome success oh, story. In, in career transition, do clients after they've, like, for example, with this gentleman and he's, he's got the new job, uh, do they ever come back for uh, future coaching or is it it's literally just during that transition and then you know they've got no reason to come back or is there a, a, some follow-up that's built into that because settling into the new job or, or what's involved? Yes. So I, I would say for the majority of individuals, um, the coaching engagement mostly ends at the time that they, you know, sort of make their decision and, and, and move on. But I guess I have had a couple of clients who come back um, on the specifically on the settling in process that you just, that you just mentioned, but, um, and, and I don't know if that's um, because they're just, you know, busy. It's like, Oh, great. You helped me with this really hard decision and great. Now off I go on my thing and that's okay. Uh, you know, that's okay with me. Uh, that they that they don't come back. Um, sometimes I think that means that they've gotten yeah. settled and they're happy where they are, and and they don't need a coach at this moment for for that thing. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, I'm reminded of going way back to personal trainer days when you know I'd helped someone with uh, it could be something even like weight loss, and because I helped them with that, they all of a sudden thought that I'd be an expert in some other area of their life. Can you help me with my relationship? <laughs> no, I don't deal with that. And this is a very, this is a very, very common thing as well. So, have you um, found that people have sought you out after you've helped them with the career transition thing for other things unrelated? Hmm. You're really just- taxing my taxing my memory here today. Um, certainly not in recent in recent years when I've done more sort of executive coaching and, you know, when I go back to my, um, EPA days, um, I just, you know what, I'll, to be completely honest, I just don't, I just don't remember individual. Yeah. i just don't, I don't know. So it sounds like mostly the career transition, maybe the occasional, Hey, now I'm settling into the job. So it's still in the whole um, transitioning from one job into the next. Into the next, yeah. I would say more um, the supervisors that I were I was helping. Um, they would come to me for all different kinds of things. You know, one week it would be this particular challenge, and the next week it would be something else. And two months later, and then might might not hear from them. And then six months later, they would call me again for something else completely different. And so. Um, yeah, I actually hadn't really reflected on that before, but it, it is kind of interesting that maybe it's the nature of why the person is seeking the coach about whether or not it goes on, right? Because we handled many different challenges 
in some instances with my coaching. And then, but for those, when I'm doing the career transition, it really is almost just sort of when we get to the end of that process, they, they move on. I move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, um, what would be, I know we've talked about the value side of things, what are some of the other approaches that you use that you that you really love and that you found to be super effective? Um, just throughout my whole throughout my whole coaching, or just things that I learned from our uh, our class throughout, throughout your the whole coaching. My whole coaching. Um, one of the approaches that I really like is the um, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name. It's like the the wheel, the wheel of life, the wheel of life. That's what it's called. <laughs> You're familiar. Yes. With the wheel of life. Yep. Right. Um, that one is really interesting for individuals, especially I use this with leaders who are struggling to prioritize and create balance between their personal life and their work life. Mm. <laughs> so that is a really great visual expression of where they're spending their time now. And you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I don't have to say anything. The exercise speaks for itself and they can see exactly whether or not they're, uh, what they think they want their priorities to be or exactly their priorities at the moment. Right. So I love, I love, have you, you've used this one too? It's, I mean, it's simple, but it's beautiful because as you say, it speaks for itself, the visual representation, you don't, doesn't need to be a discussion. We don't need to, um, you know, to, to go through all the details of this. It's like, put it down on paper, represented in one diagram. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, another one that I found works really, really well is a gratitude journal or a positivity journal. So I had a client once who um, had what I would say very low self-esteem. She didn't have a lot of positive things to say about herself. So she every night would write down three positive things that she did or had an impact on in that particular day. And she did it every night before she went to sleep so that she was thinking about what positive did she bring? What did she do? Well, how did she positively influence somebody? And over time that really did start to create a shift instead of her seeing um, the bad in everything that she did. She actually started to see the good that she was bringing into her organization. And that was, that was a long process actually, you know, when you have someone who's gotten so deep, into their negative thoughts. And um, yeah, I would just recommend that for anyone who just wants to start thinking more positively, even uh, yeah. to write that down, you know? Well, it, it shapes perception so much, doesn't it? And probably the, the, this idea that you've raised that it took a long time for people who have this habitual way of perceiving their world can take a lot of, if particularly if they've been doing that for decades, like there, there's going to need to be a fair amount of brain rewiring, quote unquote, going on to then start seeing the world in a different way. And that's only going to happen through, you know, usually repetition or maybe some intensity of emotion if they have a bit of breakthrough because of an aha moment or something like that. But the repetition is mostly what's probably going to get it there to then start seeing the world in a different way. So have you found that with most clients, it takes a little while, particularly if they've been thinking about it in one way for a long time, 
very negatively to, to shift into seeing things more optimistically and positively? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, sometimes it's really amazing to me, actually, even um, as a coach, I like to provide a lot of affirmation and help them celebrate all the good things that are going on in their life and the small steps that they're taking, you know, towards their achievements. And even with, um, even with that, I notice sometimes for some people, it is very, very difficult for them to seem to climb out of that negative space that they have about whatever it is that they're trying to work on, whether it's themselves or uh, the other person in a relationship or uh, a coworker, you know, it's like, it gets very ingrained and takes a lot of work to help reframe. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've sort of uh, had to remind myself many times is to, to because it's hard when, when you don't see the world that way, when you are quite optimistic and very positive and see the opportunity in everything, even when it's in failures, you know, quote unquote failures, to see the opportunity there or that problems are just, uh, you know, uh, what did my mum used to say? Um, it's just a problem to be solved and then being able to focus on getting to work on the solution rather than seeing the doom and gloom of the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's, it's, you know, if, if you're an individual and for maybe for a lot of our listeners who are like that, it can be very difficult to try and put yourself in the shoes of someone who sees things the opposite way or it's weighted the opposite way. You know, maybe it's a 90%, 10% and there are 10%, 90%. Um, so having a little bit of patience and a bit of compassion, because I don't think we, we really know what that's like unless we've experienced that for ourselves. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and tough, just like you said. Uh, I tend to be an extremely positive person. I tend to think, look at things optimistically. Sometimes some of my friends say I'm maybe a little Pollyanna, but... Uh, <laughs> I personally like to think of it as just being happy (laughs) and joy-filled. That's how I like to look at it. But it is difficult as a coach then because you just want to help the person so badly. Um, And you just, you're right. I don't really understand what it's like to be in that kind of space. And, um, And you do have to come up with a lot of patience to give them the time and the grace to get to that place in their own time. Um, but it is hard because you also, you want for them, right. Yeah. To get to that positive place. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if we think about it and it's not exactly like this, but if you were to think, you know, how much effort would it take for us to be for people who are naturally more um, uh, optimistic and positive and see opportunities, even in the, the, the negativity that's there, if we're more naturally like that, rather than it's a practice, how difficult would it be for us to then switch to the other side and see everything through a negative pessimistic light and then think it's even more challenging for people to move from the negative to the positive because, of course, there's so much reinforcement through media in the world and and all the rest of it to um, have this doom and gloom lens and we're constantly being reinforced with that. So even more challenging for them. So I always kind of remind myself of that. Like how difficult would it, would it be for me to see everything through a negative, pessimistic, doom and gloom lens? It'd take a lot of repetition for that to happen. Um, well, I'll probably just switch on, the, switch on a, a few select news channels and 
What's more? <laughs> <laughs> that would do it. That would go, do go, it. Go to the comment section on Facebook every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good, though. I'm going to remind myself next time, though, that I have a client who really has a hard time looking at the world in a you know, glass half full kind of way that, you know, what if I had to do the opposite? Mm. Well, maybe the, yeah. maybe the, the, the gratitude journaling uh, and the positive self-talk is the, uh, the, the optimistic positive version of a lot of media outlets and Facebook comment section, you know, That's yeah, right. it's like, you've got to do the gratitude journaling and the practices and all those sorts of things to even just counter the exposure to um, all the pessimistic negative stuff that we get exposed to every day. Right. You're right. Yeah. So what, uh, what do you think the future of this field in, and, and in particular career transition, what, what do you think that's going to look like as we, uh, enter more of this digital space. You think the digital space is going to have an impact on career transition? What, what sort of impact is it going to have? And what would you like to see happen in this in this area as people are transitioning careers and we're doing more and more stuff online and mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know around the corner is the metaverse with augmented reality and all sorts of technological <laughs> advances, which we don't even know half of what's coming. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's too it's too much for me. <laughs> but, Thinking that far into the future and about some of those things, um, but you know what stays what will stay the same is yeah. that people will want to find the work um, that brings their skill sets and their passions together. No yeah. matter no matter where we go, that's that's not going to change. Um, where I think maybe it's going with the opportunity for folks to work remotely is maybe more individuals will actually have the opportunity to go into the field that they really are passionate about because some of the, some of the requirements to live in a certain area, you know, hamper or limit the opportunities that they might be able to seek. And so hopefully this will give individuals an opportunity to find those things that they really, really feel passionate about um, because that's still, I think, where we need to go with finding our jobs. And, uh, you know, as, as we see people taking on multiple jobs and, uh, you know, the younger generations want more flexibility, they want to make a difference in the world. Not that, not that other generations don't, but I mean, it seems to be sort of more of an overriding interest for them. And they don't necessarily feel the need to have uh, one job, nine to five every day. They don't mind having multiple uh, multiple jobs that give them flexibility to uh, whatever travel, spend time with their family, paint, you know, whatever it is they want to do that that's outside the workspace. So, I think that people will have more opportunities in the future, and maybe uh, might make many many transitions, career transitions, more than. Um, people of my generation and older generations, for sure, who who spent their whole lives in in one place, let's say, for their whole time, you know. Um, so that was the first question was about what I see for the future. And then there was another question that I don't remember now. 
I don't know. I was just, I was just putting <laughs> in my mind. Basically, what do you, what do you see for the future here? What's, what are your thoughts? <laughs> that's that's what I that's what I think um, in the area of career transition. That I I think people are going to have more opportunities, and uh, but maybe that's hard too. I mean, some people are overwhelmed by too many options, right? <laughs> so um, again, that might still, um, you know, be a good thing for coaches who want to work in the area of career transition. There might be all kinds of individuals who, who need help uh, narrowing their opportunities as well as extending their opportunities. Yeah. I think the, the other question was something about, um, you know, what's going to happen with technology, but let, let what, We'll leave that for a conversation for the future when it happens. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Then we'll answer that question because I think at this stage, you know, we might have a little bit of an idea of what's going to happen when we move more into, you know, augmented and virtual reality type spaces. We know, of course, that, you know, this sort of two-dimensional Zoom interaction is going to feel much more um, lifelike and get more towards what a, a real in real life interaction would be like. But I mean, we're still probably 10 years away from having it more like that. Um, so yeah, who knows? There's, there's a lot happening <laughs> in this space, but certainly not going to happen tomorrow, but let, let's leave that conversation for another time. We'll, we'll, we'll have a chat in 10 years time and we'll talk about, <laughs> we'll talk about coaching in the augmented reality, augmented or, or virtual reality space. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even imagine that actually. So. <laughs> it's a date. It's a date. I'll see you in 10 years. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, any final thoughts for our listeners? Hmm. You know, I think just, uh, just that point that I just made uh, a few minutes ago, which is that what I hope for everybody, right, is that they can find a way to connect what their best skills are with what their passions are to find their best work life. Um, because when we're, when we're fulfilled, we are definitely at our happiest. And um, I definitely hope that everyone um, finds their, their best career. Julie, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Where um, where can people go to connect with you? What's the best, best place? Oh, thanks, Ramon. Uh, the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Guys, we'll put the link in the show notes so that you can connect with Julie, particularly if you are someone looking to transition in a career or maybe you're just a little bit lost and you're trying to find your uh, purpose. Julie, thanks again. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved chatting to you. Thanks, Ramon. My pleasure. That's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and then head over to brainfirsttraininginstitute.com to join our community of coaches. And for resources and products to help you upgrade your brain in life, including interviews with leading neuroscientists and health and high-performance experts, go to mybrainfirst.com. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.